0: my beautiful lovely people i hope you're having an amazing day um i'm currently recording in nashville and i'm at a WeWork work right now and i'm in this little tiny telephone booth and it's kind of scaring me a bit i'm not gonna lie and it's really echoey so i can literally hear myself talking and it's kind of scaring me but um i hope you are having a wonderful day i'm having a great day because i gotta say this warm weather is amazing compared to what it's like in new york in new york it's like 40 degrees right now and i'm in nashville and it is like 80 degrees and i'm vibing with that i'm vibing with the warm warm weather so we love to hear that welcome back to episode seven of the eat gluten free with me podcast i literally cannot believe that um love to hear it love to see it we're almost at 10 podcasts absolutely amazing love that if you don't follow me already i am most active on my tiktok account at eat gluten free with me And if you want my everyday move, you can definitely give me a follow on the IGs, and I post primarily on my stories there, but I also post a lot of TikToks on there and reels as well. Um, And yeah, thank you for joining me at the Eat Gluten Free podcast, where you get to know all of my inside secrets, tips, tricks, experiences with living with celiac disease. I also have Crohn's disease and IBS, so they kind of all overlap in symptoms and how I live my life, so I kind of just give you... A whole synopsis on how to deal with living with an autoimmune disease in general and gut health so if you haven't listened to my last podcast which went over how I got diagnosed with celiac IBS Crohn's E. coli and SIBO and how I knew the symptoms that went along with each of those the treatment that went along with each of those as well as the procedures that I got done to get diagnosed with all of those different um, diseases obviously when it comes to living with gut issues Um, there are a lot of symptoms that come along with it and a huge struggle and a reason that I think I've gained a following on TikTok is trying to help people get through those symptoms, providing my tips and tricks that I use in terms of diet and my lifestyle that have helped me to relieve those symptoms. So today I wanted to go over different changes in my lifestyle and my diet that helped me to control my celiac and IBS symptoms as well as SIBO, E. coli, and Crohn's disease. If you are recently diagnosed, it's just important to know in general that learning to control your symptoms is something that's going to take time. It did not come to me overnight. I have had these diagnoses for about six years now. So it's something that took a lot of learning, a lot of patience, and it took a lot of sick days. And that's just something that kind of comes along with having an autoimmune disease and having you know, problems with gut health in general. And just know that if you are experiencing that now and you feel like there's no way out, there is a way out. Just you got to keep your hope, you got to keep your perseverance, and you got to stay motivated to try to feel better. But hopefully through this episode, you'll be able to understand some different diets that you can try and different elimination diets and different things that you can test trial to see if they will help you feel better in the long run. So when it comes to Western medicine, I have been on so many different medications. I've been on steroids to try to control my Crohn's disease symptoms. I think it's budesonide is what I was on originally. Then after that, I was put on Remicade, which is a biologic to help with Crohn's disease. Um, in terms of celiac disease, there's no medication to help that that's just a gluten-free diet and when it comes to SIBO I was put on xyfaxin, which is an antibiotic to help kill um, the bad bacteria in your gut and Then I also did an herbal treatment to help with SIBO as well Which I worked with functional nutritionists to do when it came to my E. coli I was put on an antibiotic to help treat that Currently, right now, I am not on any medications besides taking a vitamin D supplement, and I am on an antidepressant to help my bloating um, when it comes to my IBS. But over the years, I put so much faith in Western medicine, and I felt like I was consistently being disappointed in the results. Um, They would prescribe me new medications and have me on them for months and months and months, and I wasn't feeling any better, and that may be the case for you, or you might have the opposite case. You might have been prescribed a medication and feel absolutely amazing by, by being on that. And every person is just different in how it reacts to medication. Personally, I hate taking medication, like I would just rather not, which is why I turned to my diet and movement to help relieve my symptoms. And I found that over the course of the six years, my changes in my diet and my lifestyle are the most important things that have impacted how I feel. And I found that out through listening to my own body. So it's different for everyone, and you have to listen to what makes you feel good. If you're on a medication that makes you feel good, then continue to take that. Like, my antidepressant really helps my bloating, so I continue to take that. But if you tried it and it doesn't work, well, your body's different. Everyone's body is different. So that's really important to remember. Just because it works for someone doesn't mean that it's going to work for you. So recently, um, I went back to my fifth doctor, um, Dr. Gianotti, and he prescribed me the antidepressant, which I just recently talked about, and that helped a lot. But I, during this period of time, I was also still having a lot of symptoms before the antidepressants started to kick in, and I wouldn't say that the the antidepressant helped relieve all my bloating. It was a combination of different things. And during this time, I was also working with a functional nutritionist. So I wanted to go over the different things that I worked with my functional nutritionist with in terms of my diet, starting with the low FODMAP diet. So this is a low anti-inflammatory diet, and yes, it's called the low FODMAP diet, low and then F-O-D-M-A-P diet. Um, I wouldn't say it's a diet. I would say it's a change in the way that you're eating. It's not something that you should be on for a long period of time. I would say no longer than two months. This diet is designed to help people with IBS as well as celiac disease or people who have SIBO, which is small bacterial overgrowth or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, to figure out which foods are problematic for your stomach and your gut and what foods you can reduce or remove or eliminate for a period of time from your diet to help reduce those symptoms so the low fat map diet is a temporary um diet as i said before and it is restrictive so this is something that i don't recommend you doing on your own i do recommend that you do this with a nutritionist to make sure that you don't fall into any ed patterns or eating disorder habits Um, i'd say if i were doing it alone that could have been the case for something that could have happened to me And something that i've actually experienced in the past because you know you restrict and restrict and restrict and then you end up with no foods at the end and that's not the whole point of this the whole point of this is to eliminate foods and then be able to add them back in to find out what are your trigger foods so that you can minimize those to help minimize your symptoms and then make a whole list of foods that you are safe and comfortable eating and can eat without any symptoms so fodmaps actually stands for fermentable allisaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polys, which are short chain carbohydrates or sugars that the small intestine usually has a difficult time absorbing. Many people can experience digestive distress after eating these different FODMAPs and these symptoms can include cramping, diarrhea, constipation, stomach bloating, gas. So you might be wondering, how does this low FODMAP diet work? So basically, it's a three-step elimination diet. So the first step that you're going to take when you are working with a nutritionist is she's going to teach you or he is going to teach you what foods are high in FODMAPs. And there's so much online information when it comes to which foods are high in FODMAPs, but there's also an app called Monash University, and I highly, highly recommend it. When it comes to the low FODMAP diet, um, different foods are high in FODMAPs, depending on the portion size so if you get the Monash University app it's about like eight dollars and it's totally worth the investment if this is something that you're actually going to go forward with Um, and it lays out If it's a high FODMAP next to the food, it will have a red dot, and if it's safe to eat or low in FODMAP, then it's going to have a green dot next to it. And when you press on the um, food, it will also give you the portion size that you can eat that is determined to be low or high FODMAP. So basically, you can have 10 raspberries, and that's low FODMAP, but when you hit 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, those are high in FODMAPs and can cause your stomach to go into more distress. Again, the first step you are going to do is trying to eliminate those high FODMAP foods in your diet for a short period of time. Next, you are going to slowly try to reintroduce foods at small portion sizes to see which foods your digestive system and your stomach reacts badly to. And obviously this is going to be a bit of a process. Everyone's body might even react, you know, a little bit different to low FODMAP foods. Like there were some foods that were low FODMAP that I felt like I was getting symptoms from. So it's going to take a little bit of time to figure those out. But once you identify the foods that cause symptoms, you can now avoid those or limit those while enjoying everything else, you know, in your safe food category. Um, so basically you can go places and eat places and you know when you're at restaurants be like Oh, I can't eat garlic and onion and you won't leave the restaurant super bloated or super uncomfortable So this will help to reduce your symptoms if you have SIBO or celiac or any gut issues And it can help to decrease that abnormal high level and intense intestinal bacteria So once you're at the point where you are now eating low Mot foods only when it comes to reintroducing a food back in say like a full banana so basically, say today's day one, so you're going to eat that full banana and you're gonna monitor your symptoms as it goes along for up to like 24 to 48 hours. If you notice that you're having extreme you know, abdominal pain or stomach pain after that, um, you might wanna avoid that food and not try to eat that food again for about another three days. So if you eat that banana and you have symptoms, don't try to reintroduce another food until those symptoms have gone away or until at least three days later if you eat the banana and you feel great then you can introduce a food a little bit sooner but every time you reintroduce a food you want to wait about 3 days till you reintroduce another one and obviously it's important to know that different foods trigger symptoms for different people so it's going to vary person to person so you might be wondering like what foods are high in fodmaps and what foods can i actually eat so foods that you're going to have to avoid for a period of time foods that are high inflammatory are going to be dairy-based foods like milk, yogurt, and ice cream, wheat-based products such as cereal, bread, and crackers, so you can eat things that are gluten-free. Um, beans and lentils are also problematic for people with gut issues and IBS and celiac, um, or maybe not for celiac, but definitely IBS. Some vegetables such as like artichokes, asparagus, onions, and garlic are going to have to be avoided for a period of time. And fruits, a lot of fruits are high in FODMAPs, such as like apples, cherries, pears, and peaches, and strawberries. So instead of eating those food categories, you're going to base your diet around eating things like eggs, high-protein meals with meat, um, certain cheeses like brie and cheddar and feta. You can have almond milk. You can stick to grains like rice, quinoa, and oats. You can have vegetables like eggplant, potatoes, tomatoes, cucumbers, and zucchinis. You can also have fruits like grapes, oranges, a small portion of strawberries. They are now actually... Um, Monash University updated to say that they are high FODMAP, but you can have some at a small portion size. Um, Blueberries and pineapples are safe to eat, portion size depending as well. So I know I mentioned the Monash University app, which helps you determine what foods are low and high FODMAP, but there's also different apps like Spoonful, that allow you to go into the grocery store and scan any product scan like a meat package a bag of chips a bag of bread or anything like that and it will let you know product is considered low or high fodmap and there's another app that also does something very similar where you can put in your dietary restrictions celiac disease low fodmap and it's called fig and you can do the same thing you can scan any of your products and it will let you know if that is considered low fodmap and um, meets your dietary beautiful lovely people I'm finishing my recording today, except my voice might sound a little different because um, it's about a week later and I now have a sinus infection, so I'm a little stuffed. But I wanted to complete this podcast for you, so let's jump back into it. So before we talked about the low FODMAP diet and how that is an anti-inflammatory diet that you can... Choose to go on if you are experiencing things like bloating, stomach discomfort, symptoms that are related to celiac disease, and IBS. I forget if I mentioned this, but you should only be completing this diet with a nutritionist because if not, it can lead to disordered eating because you are eliminating foods and you are having a restricted diet. At the end of the diet, you want to make sure that you have a large amount of foods that you can choose to eat from and that you feel good eating those safe foods and determining how to find a nutritionist. I actually found mine through Instagram and I did this by typing in functional nutritionist as well as SIBO and um, celiac disease nutritionist and there should be a bunch of different options that come up you want to have a free one-on-one meeting with them to make sure that you know you're on the same page um if they talk about supplements and you're not interested in doing supplemental work then you should determine that that's not a good nutritionist for you and then find somebody else and if they just want to focus on the low fun map diet and that's kind of all you want to do then that's probably a good fit you also want to make sure your personalities match and that you're comfortable talking to that person about all of your symptoms because that's going to be part of the process personally from my own experiences my nutritionist was very keen on supplements and personally that was not something I was interested in doing. Um, So if I had to go back, I would probably choose somebody else just because I was just focused on diet and movement and trying to solve my um, symptoms through those two things. Um, My nutritionist did help me a lot, and she helped me determine my trigger foods, but I would say a part of my healing was also me realizing the way I wanted to heal and taking that into my own hands and taking it a step further to determine the foods that, you know, were bothering me and how to change my diet with with that. While I was working with my functional nutritionist, again, she had me on the low FODMAP diet, and I was still experiencing a lot of symptoms. At this time, she also was treating me for SIBO through an herbal treatment. I'm going forward with trying to heal my symptoms through diet and through movement, and I've been able to do that. And I've been through the supplemental work, and it didn't work for me. So I'm here to give you like my honest opinion because I don't want you to have to take twenty supplements a day. No, I talked earlier how I'm not really a fan of supplements. So when I was saying that, I was discussing pill supplements that have ingredients in them that I'm, like, not really familiar with. But something that I've been getting more into and that I actually, you know like to play around with is using about mushrooms. So not shrooms like the drug, but um using actual mushrooms like chaga and ashwagandha to help my stress levels and to help with nation either in my small intestine or my body in general. Well, ashwagandha is an evergreen shrub that grows in Africa and Asia. So I purchase ashwagandha And I add it to my matcha lattes, you can add it to your coffee, to your smoothies, and basically it's just a natural powder that you can add. And it's not like supplemental form or anything like that, it's literally just another ingredient that you can add to help relieve stress in your body. Because stress is a huge factor that can lead to your symptoms flaring out and you noticing your symptoms in general. Um, Also another product that i've been using is called chaga so chaga is a mushroom that grows on birch trees and it's used to fight inflammation when having like an autoimmune disease in a natural and like an herbal way Um, you can also find like ashwagandha and chaga teas and stuff like that, but I just like adding it to like my matcha in the morning. Um, they are a little bit bitter. They're not like a sweet taste, but if you mix it in with your matcha, which is already sweet and you know, it doesn't throw off the taste that much, or if you put it in your coffee or your smoothie or anything like that, you only put a small little amount in it. Um, So that's been something that I've been, like, making anti-inflammatory, anti-anxiety little lattes, and I'm going to try to do some TikToks on how I make these. If you guys are interested in reading more about products and also looking at different, you know, herbal ways and natural ways that you can, like, boost your immune system or help with anxiety or help with inflammation anywhere um you can go to moonjuice.com and they have so many different types of natural mushrooms that come in just organic root powders like there's literally nothing else added to it it's just like an organic root powder which i absolutely love and another thing i love about moon juice is they list where all their ingredients come from they're super transparent about that and that's one thing that i'm really keen on when it comes to supplemental companies um So yeah, this is like one of the only companies that I actually trust to get like these type of ingredients from. Um, I read a lot of great reviews on all the products and they also have different like matchas and turmeric ginger golden latte teas and stuff like that. So it's a really fun company and I've really been enjoying their products. So if you guys are interested in purchasing anything, you are welcome to use the discount code Lauren, L-A-U-R-E-N-M. 15 for 15% off. And that is Lauren m15 for 50% off if you guys have any questions related to the moon juice brand or any of the products you can always feel free to reach out to me and ask me about them but again i sincerely wouldn't recommend any of these products if it wasn't something that i truly believed in and i really do believe in the value and missions behind this brand i want to step back a little bit and jump back in to the second elimination diet that i tried which was the SIBO biphasic diet period was really stressful but at the same time if I didn't go through this period in time I would never have been able to figure out my trigger foods during this time I did have a lot of mental breakdowns because I was like I can't eat anything like ah but at the same time I discovered that you know I can't eat a lot of greens I discovered that sugar does not sit well with me and that I can only eat sugar once a day so as much as it was super hard on my mental health and as much as it was hard for me as someone with celiac disease to go on a restricted diet, it was something that I would do again because if I didn't do it, I wouldn't have found my trigger foods and I wouldn't be in the place that I am today. One thing that I wish I received more from my nutritionist was help reintroducing foods back in and I think that's why I really struggled with this diet is because I wasn't really provided with that resource so I kept restricting, restricting, restricting and then you know, no foods were being added back in. And I was like, I'm literally eating nothing. So again, this is why you want to make sure like the nutritionist you're working with is kind of on the same page as you and that they're helping you through the process of reintroducing foods back in because it can lead to that disordered eating. And I would say during this diet, I did experience disordered eating. And that's something that I would have changed if I had to do this again. Hop back into what the SIBO biphasic diet is. So basically there's three phases. Phase one is the restricted diet. Phase two is the semi-restricted diet. And phase three is when you kind of start eating normal again. Each phase can last about two to four weeks, um, depending on your symptoms. So let's talk about the first phase. Phase one is the restricted diet. So basically the first phase of the elimination diet um, eliminates all grains, legumes, dairy, sugar, certain vegetables, canned, processed, and fermented foods. Um, So all of that must be avoided. These foods are only avoided for a specific time in phase one and parts of phase two, with some things being introduced again in phase two whole point of phase one is to reduce these fermentable starches and fibers. In this period, this phase is going to last about four to six weeks long, depending how your gut reacts to eliminating these foods. Go Over foods that you can eat, you can eat alfalfa sprouts, bamboo sprouts, bok choy, carrots, chives, cucumber, eggplant, ginger, kale, lettuce, olives, radicchio, radish, spring onion, the green part only, sunflower sprouts, tomatoes, sun-dried tomatoes asparagus artichoke hearts beets at two slices some of this is at portion size so like broccoli half cup two Brussels sprouts half cup of cabbage one celery stick um a fennel you can have green beans peas at one fourth cup pumpkin at one fourth cup snow peas at five pods spinach at 15 leaves and zucchini at three fourths cup So if you wanna look more further into this and see like what foods you can and can't eat, um, just look up the SIBO biphasic diet and there's a whole pamphlet that will come up so that you can see all the foods that you're able to eat. Maybe thinking to yourself like, wow, you literally can't eat anything. And though that might be the case, this pamphlet online provides you with so many different um, recipes that you can eat. And if you look up SIBO biphasic phase one recipes, a bunch of recipes will come up. It's all about eating, eating a lot of protein, a lot of meat, keeping yourself really full through protein, and getting your carbs through vegetables and eating low inflammatory vegetables You can also eat things like nuts and teas and coffee only fruits that you can have during this time are lemon and limes you can make breads using almond flour and tapioca starch art root I think it's art root starch um, but you can't use any like gluten-free flour you can't have oats you can't have quinoa you can have rice for this phase you can make your own homemade yogurt you can also have homemade broths also can't have any sweeteners in the first phase you can only use sativa i am not a fan of you can have these nuts at different portion sizes almonds almond flour coconut flour coconut milk coconut cream hazelnuts macadamia nuts pecans pine nuts pumpkin seeds sesame seeds sunflower seeds and walnuts and you can also have sugarless mayonnaise mustard condiments are usually okay and you can use any spices you want as long as there's no garlic and onion So that's phase one of the diet. Obviously it's not going to happen overnight. You're going to have to kind of adapt into this lifestyle change and it's something that's going to take a lot of meal prepping and a lot of work to get into but it is possible to do. So now let's talk about phase two of the diet. It's called the semi-restricted diet and during this phase you can eat everything that you ate in phase one that didn't bother you and then you can add some things to it as well two allows you to add some starches in, such as one cup of rice and one cup of quinoa, or you can start at half a cup if you think that it's not going to sit well with you as well. You still have to avoid things like canned foods, garlics, mushrooms, and onion. So in phase two of the diet, you can add some fruits back in like avocado, half of a banana, half cup of berries, three cherries, one is of citrus fruit, 10 grapes, one fourth of honeydew, one piece of kiwi, five leche, um, one piece of passion fruit. You can also add, I think I mentioned a half cup of quinoa, uh, or you can try a cup and see how that sits with you. You can do two rice cakes, rice noodles cooked a half cup, and basmati. Wor. So obviously this diet goes into a lot of great depths that I'm not, I'm not personally experienced enough to talk about, which is why I recommend getting a nutritionist. If you want to read up more about the SIBO biphasic diet type in SIBOinfo.com and a whole pamphlet will come up on the diet and foods that you have to avoid and foods that you can eat. Obviously if you know that a food sits well with you then you can eat that. You know, you don't want to restrict to the point where you literally eat nothing because again, that can cause disordered eating. But the point of getting to the end of this diet is to have a list of foods that you feel safe and you know that you won't get symptoms eating and you learn which foods cause your trigger foods. And if you eat that, yes, I'm going to be bloated. So it's all about learning and experiencing um, what foods cause your symptoms and you have to do this through logging your food as well, which is what I'm going to go into next. So journaling my food was a huge process that I also went through while working with my functional nutritionist and something that I had done before in the past, but not to the extent that I did with my nutritionist in 2022. I logged my food for about six months and it was a lot of work because I logged my food, everything I ate, like if it was a snack, if I had one almond, I would note it down just because I would basically write down what I ate and then I would write down my symptoms about an hour later if I had any and usually I did. Before I go into any more detail on that, let's talk about the process of buying a journal and how you can begin to log your food with just using a normal notebook or a normal calendar. So the first thing that I did is that I went to Staples and I bought a calendar that had um, vertical days down it so that I could start the top with my breakfast and end the day with my dinner. So it was in a vertical form because that made more sense in my head and it was pretty. Yeah, I also put a very, very pretty planner. I spent like $30 on this planner because I was like, if I'm going to be logging my food, I have to want to log it in something that's pretty or else I'm not going to touch it. You know, that's just the way my brain works. I'm a very aesthetic worker. So (laughs) I got colored pens. I literally got everything to make this thing as fun as could be highlighters as well I bought some highlighters too and we'll explain why I bought these highlighters so before I even started logging my food the first thing I would do is every month the first day of every month I would write down how I felt the month before what foods if I knew any that were really bothering me I would write those down and what I wanted to solve in the next month and then something that I'm grateful for just want to focus on the negative things because that tends to bring a lot of toxic toxicity into our brain you want to focus on okay here's what i need to fix but this is also something that's going well and you know just positive recognition that you know not everything is terrible in your life you know you need to remind yourself that things are okay but some things need to be fixed so once i wrote down the month before the foods that i you know thought that my- they might be bothering me things that i wanted to fix in terms of my diet um then i would begin to log my food so I log my food beginning with how much water I drank each day. I started with breakfast. I would eat my breakfast and have my notepad right next to me and I would write it down so I wouldn't forget. Down to like if I had toast, I would write the brand name next to it. The brand name is so important because eating sourdough char bread is a lot better for your gut than eating Kenyan bread that's white or something like, you know, those little differences, they actually do make a difference in how your stomach feels and how your gut reacts. Again, going back to the bread example, my stomach can handle char bread so fine, but some other brands, it reacts so badly to. So brands really do make a difference, and it's also helpful for your nutritionist in case she needs to look at the labeling to be like, oh, they had this brand, and I can look at this package and this label to determine what in those ingredients you know may have caused those symptoms. Again, first I would write down if I drank any water, which I probably wasn't at this time because at that time drinking water was causing me to vomit. So, any water that I drank, any workout that I did in the morning, did I walk, did I not work out, and I noticed, well, I won't get into that yet, but, and then I would log my snacks, I would log my lunch, and I would log my next snack, and my dinner, and my dessert as well. Again, with everything you log, I log the amount of that food that I was eating, as well as the brand name along with it, those are two super important um, aspects because it, when it comes to high inflammatory foods and the low FODMAP diet um, portion sizes are a huge aspect to that so you might be fine having one tablespoon of honey but when you have a half cup of honey you might have a reaction so that's something that your nutritionist is going to want to look at and you might be able to notice a pattern through logging how much of that product you're actually eating example for myself i can have more than a half cup of avocado i can have two avocados and i can feel fine but when i have more than like five strawberries i bloat but i can have one strawberry and be fine so those are different little patterns that i noticed in my food journals that allowed me to discover you know what foods i can eat more of versus others that i should kind of restrict a little bit more or not have as many of during the day an hour after logging what i ate with breakfast and the snack i would log my symptoms about an hour after eating and i would say am i bloated how am i feeling good bad what am i feeling like i did that after everything i eat even if it was a snack even if it was a meal i always did that and i want to note here that i did wait between three to four hours between each of my meals because my nutritionist said that it's good to let your system like kind of flush out and you want to actually be hungry when you're eating you just don't want to be eating 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 because that can cause a lot of gut issues as well and this is different for everyone some people Feel a lot better when they have a lot of tiny small meals versus some people feel better when they have like three full meals a day so depends on your situation so at the end of the day i would go to the top of that day use my yellow highlighter to highlight any symptoms that were good and i would use my orange highlighter to highlight any symptoms that were bad or to show that i was feeling not great after eating whatever food i ate if that day was filled with mostly yellow and good symptoms then at the top i would write good day and i would highlight that in yellow Versus if I had a lot of bad symptoms after eating, then I would highlight it in orange and I would write bad day at the top. The reason that I did this is because at the end of the week, I would look at the full week in my calendar and I would determine does this week of eating look mainly yellow, good, or orange, bad. And if it was full of yellow and good symptoms, then I would go through those foods and I would log... Um, In a larger list the safe foods that helped me feel good after eating and if it was mostly orange Then I created a list that said I'm not okay Or I don't feel that great after eating these foods At the end of the week I would look back at the meals that were Correlated with the yellow highlighted symptoms And I would take those foods and add them to a list of foods that were safe for me to eat because I had positive symptoms after Then I would go to the areas where I had the orange highlighted symptoms, and I would put those foods that I ate and didn't feel great after eating into another list saying not safe foods or not comfortable on the portion sizes that I should be eating of these foods to have lesser symptoms. So at the end of the week, I would have a list of safe foods, and that list got bigger every week. And then at the end of the week, I also had a list of foods that I didn't know if they were kind of causing symptoms or if I was kind of still on edge and if they were trigger foods for me the beginning of the next week, I would evaluate how I'm feeling. If I'm feeling very bloated and I had a lot of foods that were causing trigger symptoms, then I would revert back to all the foods on that yellow list. and I would only make meals with the foods on that yellow list so, so that I could help my stomach kind of come down in inflammation and kind of heal again before I start trying to reintroduce more foods or try foods that I didn't know if they sit well with me at the beginning of the week I was feeling really good then again I would try to reintroduce some of those foods that were on my orange list or that I wasn't really sure if they were sitting well with me because if I was feeling good and then I ate that and it caused a symptom I would know it was the trigger food after doing this for about a couple of weeks, you kind of learn the pattern. You kind of can look at every week and be like, oh, I ate eggs in week one, two, and three, and they were all yellow symptoms after. So that's a safe food to eat. Or I ate apples and they're always orange every week, which means, oh no, I might be triggered by fruit. So you begin to notice these patterns and it's actually, it's a really intense process and it's something you have to be really dedicated to, but it works, it really does. You really do have to be dedicated to your own health to want to do this. At the end of the day, it was the SIBO biphasic diet and the journaling of my food every week and noticing the patterns that helped me determine that I, right now, cannot tolerate grains or sugars. Those are my two trigger foods. Grains meaning empty carbs, meaning crackers, pretzels, um, a lot of bread I can't eat, uh, and sugars, even natural sugars. I can't. My body can't process honey, maple syrup, any f- sweeteners, artificial or natural. And natural sugars I can only have about once a day, one serving a day. Um, And that's why smoothie bowls cause me so much bloating. I'm also very sensitive to oats, I can't eat oats. And all of this was because of how dedicated I was to using my diet to help solve my symptoms and to help relieve my bloating and it worked and you can do it too you just have to be very dedicated to following through with all these diets and this journaling maybe there's another nutritionist that you're working with and she recommends something a little bit different the reason mine sounds so kind of complex is because i was really doing it all on my own i'm sure that it would be an easier process if you had a nutritionist you were really on like one-on-one page with and they could help you through this entire process and they probably have like a structured way to do it but because I couldn't afford to work with a nutritionist anymore and I was kind of doing this on my own time Um, it kind of is a little more all over the place but it worked for me and I know if it worked for me it can work for you so right now I actually eat pretty much paleo besides I can tolerate char sourdough um, toast which I usually have maybe one slice a day or every other day I've cut out rice pasta I've cut out all grain crackers, grain gluten-free crackers. Um, I usually only eat almond flour crackers because my stomach can tolerate that. And as I said before, I stick to one serving size of fruit every day. Can you guys hear the helicopter in the background? I'm recording this outside because it's literally so nice out. That's what it sounds like. (laughs) But right now, honestly, let's take a deep breath. Ready? We're going to breathe in. Hold it and breathe out. (sighs) Because I feel like when I first heard of trying these diets and journaling my food, I became very overwhelmed. I was like, holy crap, how the heck am I going to do this? I'm not going to make this through. And maybe listening to this podcast made you a little bit overwhelmed and you're like, wow, there's so many things I could be doing and I don't really know how to get started. It's okay. It's okay. I've been there. Everything that you do, is going to take a certain amount of time for you to figure out. Everyone's healing process takes a different amount of time and that's okay. It's okay to know that. This is a process that took me about seven to eight months and I just talked about it in 30 minutes. It's not something that's gonna happen overnight. Again, it's a lifestyle change. It's gonna take time and be patient with yourself. Don't rush it. It's not something, healing can't happen overnight. That just doesn't happen. All about listening to your body and having good days and having bad days looking back at those good days and being like what did I do right and looking at the bad days and being like okay this is what I need to change and to be able to do that takes a lot of time and just remember you're a warrior if you have celiac disease or any autoimmune disease or any gut issues you are a freaking warrior and I love you for that I want you to look at yourself in the mirror and be like wow I live with this disease that other people probably couldn't even imagine living with. And I am able to conquer every day in this life. And for that, you are so goddamn strong. And I'm so proud of you for that. And you need to pat your back on the shoulder because you probably don't reward yourself enough for that. And you probably don't even remember to reward yourself and to say, wow, I am so strong. So that's what I'm here for. Um, if you have any questions about any of the information that I talked about today, please feel free to reach out. I'm not even sure if any of that made sense to you. If it didn't, I'm so sorry. (laughs) My uh, thoughts get jambled sometimes, but I really had a lot of information that I wanted to pull from this because this is probably one of the most important episodes that allowed me to heal. Um, truly diet is such a big aspect and something that allowed me to heal. And I wanted to be able to share that with you. So I love you. Again, if you could write a review um, or leave a review on if you're enjoying the Eat Gluten-Free With Me podcast, I would so, so, so much appreciate that. And if you would like to follow me along on my daily activities and what I eat, what exercise I do, my life living with celiac disease, traveling, all of that good stuff, you can follow me for daily videos on TikTok at Eat Gluten-Free With Me or on Instagram at with Me. Again, be sure to follow my podcast so that you can stay up to date with every podcast that comes out every morning, hopefully at 8am, unless something's happening. (laughs) But okay, I love you guys and have an amazing week. Love you. Bye.